0: welcome to the Stephen Mansfield podcast. It's great to have you with me as always. I am going to do something different in this podcast, something I'm going to start doing from time to time. I'm going to call it rapid fire. When I have a lot of things I want to comment on, when a lot of things are happening in the news, I'm just going to rapid fire a whole bunch of topics rather than having just one topic I develop in the podcast. It's going to allow us to scan a lot of themes, it's going to allow us to summarize a Lot of the news and give you my perspective, have a little fun along the way. So, thanks for being here. Let's dive in. First of all, Mr. Biden, our current president, gave a speech here recently to Congress in which he outlined four trillion dollars of spending. He plans to supercharge the IRS so they can go after uh, higher-end Americans. So they He feels like there's a lot of hiding from the IRS <clears throat> and a lot of hiding from uh, people's tax obligations as citizens. So he's going to fund that. He's going to fund new infrastructure. He's going to fund a recovery package. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. $4 trillion dollars A huge amount of spending, which he expects to come out of taxes, of course. Thus, the title <laughs> for a lot of people on the left, a lot of folks on the right use of the left, the title, Tax and Spend Liberals. That's exactly how they see it being done. And so this is interesting. Now, one of the greatest concerns for people like me, and uh, not just conservatives, but people who have a little bit of background in macroeconomics, is inflation. Let me explain this briefly. Inflation is basically an expansion of the money supply. And the reason it's dangerous is that it means that the money you already have becomes less valuable because there's more government spending, because there's more loaning, because there's an expansion of the overall money supply in the country. Your $10, uh, let's say in 2020 value by 2023 value is not the same thing. It's less because there's more of it. There's more money out there. So nothing is as scary to people who save, uh, to people who try to be responsible with their money than inflation. It's almost always something done by banks and governments. It is something that devalues what you own, of devalues what you earn, devalues the value of your salary, and it's pretty scary for people. So far, we're sure no problem. We're not going to deal with a lot of inflation. But you start spending at the $4 trillion level. And if the banks don't keep a lid on their loaning and loans are a little bit irresponsible, you begin to have inflation. That's something to keep an eye on. Remember this definition. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply done by government and banks. And Mr. Biden is heading into an inflationary direction. Most left-leaning presidencies have resulted, have led to inflation. Remember the inflation of the Carter years, less so during the Clinton years. I'm not trying to weight this analysis just politically, but keep in mind, most Republicans try, other than in times of war, uh, to keep to tighten up spending, to reduce debt, uh, to increase the value of money, so to speak. But when you have massive government spending, I think Mr. Biden sees himself as a new FDR, new generations, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, with a new deal, so to speak. That was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's uh, economic package called the New Deal. I think Mr. Biden sees himself in those terms. He's older, doesn't think he's going to be around forever. And so he's wanting to make his mark and make it quickly. But what it will produce is a massive expansion of the money supply. And if it's not managed well, we will end up in inflationary times. Excuse my voice this morning. By the way, Mr. Biden is more popular than any other president uh, in terms of his own party. He's more popular within his own party than any other president at this point. He has a 96%. Percent approval rating among Democrats. He's talking moderate, so that he can appeal to moderate Democrats. His policies no, unquestionably appeal to the progressives, and so he has a ninety-six percent approval rating. That's higher than any other president for this point at this point in their presidency, first year, first quarter pretty interesting. Uh, Not popular, however, especially in Utah, is Mr. Mitt Romney. Now, Mr. Mitt Romney is a man I like to keep an eye on. Uh, He's a smart man. He's a gifted man. But I like in Congress uh, those who are the outliers, uh, those who are prickly, those who can't be assumed to go along with the party line. I like the free thinkers. Uh, They they require other people to to be sharper in their arguments. They're thoughtful. They usually have a surprise thing in Washington, D.C., a conscience. And so Mr. Romney was making a speech to state delegates in Utah. Now, you all know that Mr. Romney not only represents Utah, uh, but is a member of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church. And so Utah, of course, is absolutely filled uh, with members of the LDS. Mr. Romney should be just slightly less popular than Jesus in Utah. And yet he was booed at this gathering of state uh, state delegates as he made his speech. Why was he booed? He was booed because, of course, he was in favor of the impeachment of Donald Trump. And for some reason among the GOP, Donald Trump has become the litmus test. I mean, Donald Trump is the issue. Are you pro or anti-Trump? If you're anti-Trump, if you voted against him, you will be punished a la Arizona. And if you are if you have stood with Donald Trump, you are absolutely outside of the mainstream. Nevertheless, that's the measure for a lot of people in the GOP. Let me just say it plainly. The GOP is in crisis, and it's largely a crisis over Trump loyalties. However, Mr. Romney got booed in his own state and amongst delegates who should have been absolutely loyal to him, and the issue was Trump. I want to say again, I like Mr. Romney. He doesn't represent everything I believe. Um, He's a bit of an oddball. I never will forget the video of him uh, blowing out the candles on his cake. I think he's in his early 70s, pulling every individual candle off the cake and blowing it out individually while we all sat there going, please, could we just have some cake? (laughs) (laughs) so he's an unusual guy, uh, but I'll tell you what, he's gifted, he's intelligent, and again, I like in Congress the outliers. I do not like to see, we are not served in American government. We citizens are not served well when everybody is in lockstep in Washington, D.C. You want the dissidents. You want the outliers, you want the Murkowskis, Uh, you want the ones who are unusual, who who think differently, who have a conscience, who are willing to break from the party, Uh, not just for power, but because they, 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 they believe in what they're doing. Uh, there was a book written, oh, maybe three or four decades ago uh, by a man named Hedrick Smith, very popular commentary on D.C. affairs. And he wrote a book, which, which, was, which is, I'm sure, outdated now, but it was really transformative for me. And it was called How Washington Works. And one of the things he described was the power of being prickly, uh, that if you don't, aren't just there to go along, if you don't just agree with your party flow, uh, if you require people to Come to your office and make their case. You require people to make a sharp case. Uh, you don't. You you think uh, uniquely and as a bit of an outlier on every issue. Um, that that really that's a form of power. I not only think it's a form of power. I think it's good for our government. I want people with consciences. I want people that are willing to break from their party, especially these days. Uh, I want people uh, forcing other folks to be to be smart, not just use code language and not just make everything easy and not everything slick and About money and about power. I like the ones who are prickly. And so I like Mitt. Romney. Uh, I like these other handful of what you might call moderate Republicans, but I also like the folks who do the same of the Democratic Party. I think it's absolutely essential. Okay, let's move on. Uh, it's looking like the American economy is going to roar out of COVID-19 era. It's unbelievable. We are already, in terms of economic strength in this country, already almost back to pre-COVID-19 levels. Can you believe it? I know there's been a great deal of destruction people have lost their businesses chains have shut down uh, a lot of this i'm sorry to use this phrase that's so almost insulting is the creative destruction that has to come economically from time to time if you look honestly at the businesses that have closed i'm sorry for the mom and pops that have been lost i'm sorry definitely for the used bookstores and the bookstore chains as a guy who loves books that have had to shut down a lot of these were living on the edge anyway a lot of these were competing with online uh, services Uh, A lot of these were probably going to close eventually anyway. I'm sorry to say it. I really am. Uh, I'm sorry for the loss of the good restaurants. I'm sorry for the loss of some of these great chains. I'm sorry for the loss of businesses. I really am. But overall, it's just a fact that the American economy is almost back to COVID-19 levels. And if we don't just go into some insane inflationary anti-business period here during the Biden administration, we should really roar back to great. Strength. It's good news. It's good news. Okay, a little bit about me. I've had both of my vaccinations, Pfizer vaccinations, at Vanderbilt University uh, Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm done. And I want to report I didn't have a fever. I didn't even have a sore arm. I didn't have anything. Uh, I don't have a hand growing out of my forehead. I don't have an eye growing out of my cheek. Uh, I feel fine. I've had no problems. Uh, and I'm just shy of 10 days since that second back, uh, second shot. So uh, obviously, those who are concerned about what these shots might produce on our bodies are thinking long, long term. Uh, but I have to tell you that I'm real concerned about the amount of myth- and just out and out misinformation that's floating around this whole issue of vaccinations. The New York Times did an article here this past these past few days. Um, one of them said, uh, the experts are concluding, that we are li- not likely to hit herd immunity in the United States. Uh, that even though 56% of Americans have had at least their first shot, that the reality is that because so many people are resistant, millennials at a very high percent, almost 20%, are, are talking about not getting the shot. Evangelicals, at a very high percent, evangelical Christians in America, uh, I'll have to say with with respect, uh, a group of people who are very myth-prone, um, very suspicious, very suspicious of shots, believing that certain inoculations lead to autism, this kind of thing, um, along with, I'll have to say also, my beloved African-American community. No, I'm not black, but I live largely in the African-American community, Uh, much in my family, but also in my life in D.C. Uh, Very suspicious. Uh, and, and, and when you ask them why, for good reason, because they find the medical community in America not to be very black friendly. They find that they're not, the medical community is not thinking a lot about African-American health and well-being. And of course, part of that is the famous Tuskegee experiment uh, in which our own government uh, fostered and funded experiments, uh, syphilis experiments on African American men, uh, that were just—it was—it was just grotesque. It was Frankenstein. It was—it was terrible uh it was torturous it meant it meant the infection of wives the infection of children uh stunning uh the level of disregard for the well-being of the african american men who were uh tested and watched for decades in the tuskegee syphilis experiments pretty stunning pretty stunning uh, all that to say That the African American community, evangelicals, and millennials, very suspicious of vaccinations, not getting them, as far as we can tell right now, to a pretty large extent, to a pretty large percentage. We are likely not to hit herd immunity largely because of that. That's what the experts are saying. And that's despite the fact that 56% of Americans have gotten at least their first jab, as the British say, their first shot. Pretty, pretty stunning. All right. So I my you know my encouragement, get it. I think it's safe. I think the stuff I mean, I'm no I'm no MD, but I I don't think they're using necessarily new medications. I think it's safe. Uh, it's the, I got to tell you, it's the quickest, lightest, most pain-free shot I've ever gotten. And I've gotten so many, so many shots in my life with all of my international travels and living as a child abroad, the American military requiring them in our department of defense schools and so on many, 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 many shots. Um, but this was maybe the smoothest and least painful I've ever had. So keep that in mind. Not an MD, but I strongly recommend Get Vaccinated. All right, moving on. My next book, John Boehner's book, former Speaker of the House. I got to tell you, John Boehner is a real character, and he's... (laughs) has got a book out. The cover of Lo- Alone makes me want to read it. I like, you know, I got to tell you, I find a lot of the world boring. I find a lot of the world is just sameness. It's just people goose stepping. Book covers look the same. People speak the same. They use the same lingo. It's just the same, the same, the same. So I tend to like the outliers. I tend to like the people who break out in terms of personality and style. Well, John Boehner's written a book called On the House, and he's sitting on the front cover holding a cocktail... (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> on the house is a phrase that's used at bars for, you know, this is, this is being paid for by the bar. Um, and he hits away. I've read a selection of it. I don't think I've read that many cuss words uh, in two or three pages. I'm not celebrating that. I'm just saying he hits away. He uses foul language. He spares no one. But what he chronicles that I think is important is he believes the GOP, the Republican Party, has taken a loony turn And he identifies that. He takes on Trump. He takes on uh, people you would know uh, who are Trumpites. He takes on the GOP leadership. He certainly takes on the left. He does it with harsh language. He does it with just absolute ribald joy. Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting read, even though you'll have to be careful not to use that same language after you read it. Vice President Mike Pence has also just signed a book deal. Perhaps you've seen the articles, multi-million dollar book deal uh, published by Simon & Schuster. I'm looking forward to reading that. Let me just tell you straight up. Uh, I realize that even if you are not a Trump fan, Vice President Mike Pence, especially on January 6th, an American hero. That day, he was more... That was one of the most heroic moments in the history of the American vice presidency and one of the most heroic moments in the history of American politics. I like him. Uh, there are a lot of questions I have about his conduct and what happened internally uh, in the Trump administration I think he's going to tell us the story I think he's going to tell us what happened mr. Trump is not going to tell it straight up uh, most people who have written about the Trump administration either are critics or people who are leaving the administration or have to justify themselves but a calm reasoned explanation for why a man would become Trump's vice president uh, what patriotism drove him about how his uh, he's an Mr. Mr. Pence is an evangelical. So, how did his faith play out? What did he see? And then, what happened? What's the real story on January 6? I've been told by recently by somebody who should know that John, I'm sorry, Mike Pence was more heroic than we even know on January 6th. And so this story is going to be told in that book. I can't wait to read it. wanted to mention it to you. One of the great trends that's happening right now that I'm very excited about is the new federalism. You're seeing states take matters in hand. For a lot of our history in America, especially with the rise of the gigantic federal government with World War II, um, and again, I'm I'm always recommending that you you read about that. It really was World War II that took Washington, D.C. and our federal government from from a sleepy town and a and a a not overly powerful imperial government to what it has become now. Really massive, really imperial, uh, almost socialist state. And it's an important trend to know. Well, uh, what's happened of late is that largely on moral issues, but also on other issues, states are beginning to assert their authority. See, the founding fathers set up a system where the federal government was contained, the states had real authority, and Congress was the main branch of the federal government presidency wasn't that powerful, uh, and the Supreme Court was just there to decide if, if certain acts of the government and in the nation were constitutional. Judicial review was fairly limited. Well, Today, of course, we've got a whole different system. The, the federal government has dominated the nation. States have basically uh, taken money from the federal government and been toadies. And now you find, though, state governors, state legislatures breaking free, saying we're different in this state. We have different values. We have different value about, values about transgender athletes. We have different values about taxes. We have a different values about gov- about immigration. We have different values about guns. And so you're seeing a new federalism, You're seeing states assert themselves. This is good. On a lot of issues, we should have not had a single Supreme Court ruling. We should have not had uh, the federal government dictating. The states should be allowed to decide for themselves because there is a difference between Alabama and New York. There is a difference between Texas and California. There is a difference between these different these states. They have different populations. They have different needs. The whole idea of the Founding Fathers is that the states could tailor their governing of their people more wisely, more uh, more in a more sensitive matter and in a better manner uh, than the federal government could. One size fits all uh, pounding fist of the federal government is not the way to go. So I like seeing this new federalism. I like seeing where things. Are going. So good things are happening in our society. At the same time, delicate. we got to be careful. Congress has got to act. We've got to really think through elections at the midterms. Mr. Mister Biden is very popular in his party, and that might mean that he misses some steps and is too proud of his popularity and and is just carried on everybody's shoulders to, to, to new heights. And that's fine. He wants to be a new generation's FDR, but I'll tell you what, uh, there are some, there are some things he's doing that we've got to really watch carefully, and again, I'm concerned about inflation and I'm concerned about foreign policy. All right, a final announcement from me I have just become a fellow of public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida. I love Palm Beach Atlantic University, love what's happening there. Uh, Dr. Deborah Schwinn is the president, doing amazing things. She's former Duke Medical School. Um, this school has a lot of medical programs, pharmacy, etc., during practitioner programs, uh, does great things. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be serving in the capacity of public leadership, uh, developing leaders on campus, uh, helping to speak uh, from the university to the broader society. I'm real excited about this role. I'll still live in Nashville in Washington, D.C., but I'll be down at PBA. That's the abbreviation for it, PBA, Palm Beach Atlantic University, uh, a week, a month. Those of you in the area, find me, call me. And those of you on campus at PBA, let's do some great things together i'm excited about being a fellow of public leadership at palm beach atlantic university and that's it for now that's the rapid fire for this episode more soon stephen mansfield is a new york times best-selling author a popular speaker and a frequent faith and culture commentator on fox and cnn his groundbreaking books on faith and society include the faith of george w bush The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv